This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Tuesday, and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 73 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. Joining me this week, as always, it's Gavin J. Baxter. Gav, how's it going? I'm all right. Uh, still feeling kind of almost in a footballing sense, a bit homesick with this whole Qatar Desert World Cup fiasco that's going on. Um, Sunday night we're recording. It's almost fitting, given our guest was watching Germany and Spain, and never noticed before that German centre-back, Nicolas Sula. Tell you what. If that guy was just to scrap the football, get himself over to Tampa, have a few appointments with Dr. Zahorian, you know, get himself on the juice, that guy would have been Vince McMahon's wet dream once upon a time. (laughs) (laughs) That is beautifully tenuous, Gav, but wonderfully leads us into our welcome back to the show for the one and only Andy Murray. Andy, welcome back. How's it going, mate? Good, thank you. Good to be back. I'm currently living through the intense anxiety of being a Scottish person who lives in England, uh, experiencing a major footballing tournament. So, you know, you take the good with with the bad. I have to keep reminding all my great English friends that uh, Scotland are, of course, uh, boycotting this competition on moral grounds. Uh, Unlike them, uh, they are scoundrels. So great to be able to take a break from that anxiety and come and talk about the real best league in the world and the real best team in the world. Absolutely. In a week that saw Sevco shit it ahead of our meeting on the 20th of December, an empty Giovanni Van Bronckhorst that saw Wayne Hennessy raise his leg rather than his arm for once, and that saw Bojan Miofsky taking fashion tips from Arsene Wenger, and finally, that saw Ryan Porteous turn out to be not all that big a hips fan as it turns out. It's another pretty busy one. Well, I mean... If I may, Gary, he's been hounded out of Scottish football as a hips fan on Twitter pointed out, and I have bookmarked that comment for when he signs a pre-contract with Rangers in January. Yeah, it hounded out because was it because of VAR, I think I saw as well, somebody said. Uh, I believe the individual in that I'm talking about said it's because he has a personality. <laughs> Whether that extends to, you know, attacking women in nightclubs, I don't know. Can't go that far. But... Uh, yeah, those are there's some hips fans that are struggling to deal with reality right now. That's what I would dare say. Hips Twitter was great fun last night. That's all I'm going to say. Just ferreting through people calling him a traitor who literally six weeks ago were like, he's the greatest player on earth. Lovely stuff. Did you anyway. also see that Jason Cummings got pied off by Kylian Mbappe after the France-Australia game? No. <laughs> Supposedly Cummings went to Mbappe like at the end and was like, let's swap shirts. And Mbappe was like, yeah, <laughs> come see me inside give it 10 minutes and then the physio or the kit man went to go swap kits and he came back with Cummings top still in his hand being like yeah he said no 
<laughs> of course he said no. <laughs> Fuck it out. So he then desperately got, like, I think, is it the Liverpool centre-back who's French? Got his shirt out of desperation. The The Comets had all the energy of, like, a competition winner, which Jason Cummings kind of is. So, uh, very fitting. Come dog. There we go. Anyway, have our look back at this season to date in the company of Mr. Andy Murray and... After the break, we'll take a look back at all the news from AB24 this week, of which there's not much. And we'll check in with the Quines, the young team, uh, along with our regular look at our loanies in Loan Watch. But first, when we left off with Tom Watt last time out, we just secured our place in the quarterfinals of the Premier Sports Cup, as it still was known at the point at that moment in time, uh, with our extra time win at Anna Athletic, which brings us neatly to transfer deadline day. We have to talk about that first before we can get into the actual football. Um, now, at the time, the Dons were certainly rumoured to be in the market for some extra bodies. The rumour mill was in full swing regarding potential outgoings. And in the end, David Bates finally departed the club after significant speculation um, had previously linked him with the move to Legia Warsaw, which was, you know, um, shot down mainly thanks to Aberdeen Twitter, I think, more than anything else. But he then made the move to Belgian side KV, Mechelen, Conor Clennon loaned out to St. Johnston for the remainder of the season and Tom Ritchie recalled from his loan at Queen of the South and then sent out Peter Head for the rest of the season. The poor, poor bastard. Perhaps, though, the biggest surprise was the fact that Christian Ramirez finished the window still at the club, boys. Mm. Yeah, particularly um, shocking given <laughs> his antics uh, towards the end of last season and his general vibe uh, and certain... Tweets that came to light. Uh, I mean, this season as well. To be fair, um, yeah, deadline day was uh, interesting. One, I, I was sitting there waiting for news that we were going to maybe squeeze another bit of defensive cover through, maybe shift a Polvara or someone away um, for a for a spell. None of it came through. Perhaps not all that surprising, given the volume of people we brought through the doors in the summer in the first place, and then you have to integrate yet more people in fact i think at this stage in the season we're still having a bit of trouble yeah. finding complete cohesion with everyone we've brought through the door um but yeah uh surprisingly quiet day um but not entirely disappointed with it it would have been nice to get another couple of defenders through but it hasn't yet proven itself a catastrophe and now we're about to enter january so fingers crossed on the note of david bates a name that i'd kind of forgotten about um Never checked in on him. KV Mechelen. Uh, they are currently 13th out of 18th in the Belgian league and they have conceded 30 goals in 16 games. So not conclusions changed there. Let's just say that. Um, He's getting more game time than I thought he would, to be fair to him. I, I imagine that was a significant investment for them, um, much the same way it was for us. And they probably hoped they would get the player that we hoped they would get and that just did not quite materialise. Um, <laughs> Moving on from that, Cape the Ramirez point. Yeah, I, I think I did expect towards the end, maybe even on deadline day itself, an arrangement would be reached, but uh, not to be. And you know, he's for better or worse, he's he's still here, and we'll see if there's any change in that in in January. But the way it is, I can kind of see this just dragging out until until the summer, um, with him being a bit part player and sucking up quite a considerable amount of money from our uh, our bank account, unfortunately. Yeah, um, the Ramirez thing was was interesting as well on, on deadline day, wasn't it? Because there was a lot of rumours at the time that Hearts were possibly looking at him. Um, and in the end, nothing happened. Um, but it didn't end there because the Ramirez then took to social media with a whole bunch of woe is me 
self-pitying, passive-aggressive posts. And they completely deleted his social media for a period of time as well after this. Yeah. Um, was there not like a tweet or an Instagram to the effect of like the truth will come out one day or... I can't remember. The truth is out there. I don't know if he was trying like who'd been watching X Files the night before. Um, <laughs> very a lot of Ronaldo energy. Yeah, that's yeah. the best way I can put it. Touch though, as it is, no one comes in the door. I think a lot of us were probably expecting a, a defender or two, possibly because it was the one area I think that we all looked at still going into the start of the well, still coming out of the out, out of the window that we were still very very light on. Still think we are very light in that position right now as we head into into January. Um, but I think there was a lot of chat out at the club as well at the time that, similar to the January previous, that they had players lined up, they couldn't get the deals done, and they weren't going to go down to like number, I don't know, twelve or thirteen on the list. They were they weren't going to bring in people for the sake of bringing in people. I mean, from my perspective, if that is genuinely what happened, I actually think that's a relatively sensible way to approach things. There's no, I think it's always nice to feel you're bringing in extra cover, but what's the point if they're not any better than what you've already got potentially sitting in the squad or in the youth team or whatever? I think for once it seems that we're being quite sensible when it comes to that sort of approach. Yeah, it's um, there's definitely quite a lot to be said for that, particularly when you look at. Um, obviously, we don't know these lads personally, but the the character of 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 some of the players that have come in to the club uh, in the summer appears to be quite high. Your your Ramadanis and your Dukes and people like that who've really come in and embraced, and obviously that that takes a a different depth of scouting to just watching a couple of clips here and there and and picking some stats out and everything else that that probably takes a, a a little bit of a different type of effort so um if you haven't gone to that degree who knows you could end up with some rotten apple at the core of your defense and lord knows we've had a few of those over the past few years um so yeah i mean when you look at the volume and stuff i, I think you sit there and you look at the number of bodies you brought in across the summer and turned over um Taken out of context, it's it's about what you'd expect this this past summer. Uh, shipping off all Stephen Glass's field projects and everything else, and then Goodwin bringing in his own players. So, um, still some holes, obviously, that need to be addressed in January or or next summer, hopefully. But uh, and then, of course, you have future holes of departing loanees and and various <laughs> other problems. But that's uh, that's the job. Uh, that's the job ahead of us, isn't it? I take the point about, you know, not wanting to fill up the squad with players for the sake of filling up the squad with, with players. But um, if there's a almost limitless reluctance to play, for example, Jack Milne, um, no matter what, then it kind of begs the question of, well, uh, seem to have a, a good relationship with Liverpool right now. I refuse to there wouldn't be like a centre-back, a young centre-back Liverpool that we could have just brought up the road for six months and see what happened um, to avoid the kind of double jeopardy situation when which we knew was going to happen with Liam Scales and Ross McCrory. Um, so yeah, that I definitely, definitely still a lot of work to be done on the squad and uh, perhaps in identifying um, the purpose of players being in and around the Aberdeen squad if they're not going to play as much Jack Milne, uh, Ryan Duncan, for example, uh, there. But uh, but yeah, I mean, overall, given the sheer number of the turnover, I think uh, you'd look at the summer and say it's been definitely more success than failure yeah and we'll come back on the players who came in in the, in the summer later on because andy like we did with tom last week when we get you just to give all the boys who came in in the summer uh, a bit of a ranking out of 10 later on but because nobody else did come in uh, on transfer deadline day it did mean we went into the next game that we had after annan at ross county with the same set of players to pick from uh this one ross county won aberdeen won close and hayes and clarkson all back in the starting 11 for this one and truth be told the large, boisterous, 
drunken uh, traveling supporting Dingwall was treated to an absolute stinking of a game of football that only came to life in the last few minutes. Emerging cult hero at this moment in time, Duke manufacturing an unbelievable over the head, over the shoulder volley with two minutes remaining that appeared to have sealed the points before County somehow equalised with the last kick of the game as we failed once again to deal with a set piece which ended up being bundled in. Perhaps, you know, we spoke about with Tom last week, the Motherwell game at home, and probably this Ross County game, the most frustrating set of drop points so far in the season to be one up with literally injury time to see out and not make the three points is kind of unforgivable to one from one extent, isn't it? Aye, absolutely, particularly when... You look at the the goal they scored as well. It was a, a kind of scrappy mess that we've conceded. It feels like seven or eight times from this season that that ball in and then the complete shambles um, along the line and everything else. I think Aki uh, Mackay won't be too happy. Uh, I don't think, despite getting equaliser ninety fifth minute. I heard he was late for an appointment with the Grand Wizard, um, <laughs> which really pissed him off. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Malky. No, uh, not no sorry. I'm not sorry. He's a big racist. racist Why apologise? No, Why apologise? Yeah, rot- rotten yeah. game of football. Um, moment of pure inspiration from Duke, obviously. Uh, I love that that guy, man. Chaos incarnate. He, he brings <laughs> that kind of madness factor to our front line that we've not had in years and years and years. And for me, this was probably the moment he, he cemented it. The celebration as well, taking the shirt off, firing up, popping over the barricades and all that stuff. It's great stuff. Um, and a perfect encapsulation of the man himself from start to finish, I think. But yeah, rubbish, rubbish, rubbish game. Particularly disappointing coming off the Livy dismantling, really, um, previously. And uh, start of a long, inconsistent run up <laughs> until the World Cup break. Yeah, with that, uh, with that Malky Micaiah promo, Andy's going to have Graham Spears coming at us, pointing out that he didn't send all of the racist texts, so he can't be that bad. Um <laughs> so um that that game i mean obviously you and gary you and graham were there um i was suitably intoxicated ready for bed by the time that the game actually came around i was strapped in to wait for a nine nine p.m train back from dingwall to aberdeen i was i was at home uh Sounded like an absolute nothing game. Um, it was horrendous. So bad. My hangover kicked in midway through the game. The open all mics uh, folks, they just, they weren't even going to Dingwall. That's how little action was happening. And then <laughs> you see the the very, very late uh, goal from Aberdeen. Uh, see on Twitter from our good friend, Mark Robertson, who's got a very favorable tendency to film his TV. So we can see the, uh, the, red, t- the red TV international coverage. And I mean, it's an absolute worldy. It's, you know, it's innovation, uh, the innovator of excellence, or whatever you want to call it, uh, that is Duke. Um, and you just think that that's, that has to win the game. A goal like that, the celebration, it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, Dundee last year when we scored the second goal at Dens Park. And there's a mad celebration. You know, it even brings Vinny Bajoran back to life after the horrendous injury he'd suffered in the penalty box. Mad celebrations. I mean, to be fair, Anyone else would say that Duke ends up looking like a bit of a dick because we concede about a minute later. And it's like, well, yeah, but it's the, Duke, uh, so he doesn't, but Duke doesn't matter. And then, yeah, the, the goal is oh, just thinking what it looked like. And then, yeah, it's it's the long throw, isn't it? Yeah. And we have about, I don't know, five, six, <laughs> seven opportunities to get the ball away. And of course, it gets bundled in. And it's, it's calamitous. 
Like I think does Matty Kennedy fall over when he's trying to clear it? Jason so. Richardson slips. I can't yeah. remember exactly what happens. It's it's just all around just Kelarus comes flapping a little bit and then like has a chance yeah. to save it, but he doesn't really make any effort. And you know, given the results we'd had, you know, we'd had that good win against St. Johnston. This is again digging out another win on the road. So to to lose it in that final second in such a defensively, I mean, shambolic's the perfect word. It was just bitterly, bitterly disappointing. I don't know if they still do it, but that goal would have sat nicely on Nick Hancock's World Cup of Gaffs DVD coming out this time at Christmas. Um, I think I can safely say that Nick Hancock's DVDs are not a thing anymore. Yeah, I imagine so. Not to be discussed with, not to be confused with Matt Hancock, which I think I've done previously. <laughs> anyway, um, now now that draw at Dingwall, um, disappointing as it was, because we'd come off of the win against Livingston and then the win against Anne, and I, th- I still think there was a lot of people leaving Dingwall that night. Well, maybe not that night, maybe the next day after like, the, the drink had worn off. Optimistically looking forward to the home fixture of Sevco the following week. But let's just say that circumstances got in the way of that one. Um, I know a lot of us in football have always been like, who would like to be the team that played Rangers the first day after this happened? And everyone's like, I'd like to be the team that did that, thanks. And it just so happened it was going to be us. And it got taken away from us, truly. So anyway, Dundee United got the honours. United got the honours of that one, which meant we had a week off before we went to Easter Road. Let's just not talk about that any longer, I don't think. But this one, Hibs 3, Aberdeen 1, a first league start for Duke, because he hadn't actually started a game yet until um, that uh, that one at Easter Road. He came in for Leighton Clarkson, who'd been suspended because of Malky McKay being a massive grass um, to add to his list of personality traits. Um, it was Duke, though, who did get the opener. I mean, I mean great... also also the point of Leighton Clarkson going in two-footed on a guy's shin. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> actually, in retrospect, it was actually quite a bad tackle, but never mind. Yeah, but Duke with a great header on four minutes to set us up and set us on our way, you think. But, well, we've all seen us play away from home, haven't we? Not to be. Um, Hibbs awarded a spot kick just on half time. Scales are judged to have brought down Ryan Porteous, despite the fact it was apparent to all and sundry that it was the Hibbs man who had Scales in a headlock. Um, yeah. Scales sent off for a second booking. Martin Boyle dispatching the penalty. Speaking of Martin Boyle, actually, it's obviously out for the rest of the season, um, as it now turns out. So things are all coming up, Hibs, down Leithway um, this week. A really poor second-half performance by Aberdeen. Saw a double from Campbell wrap up the points for the home side. Jim Goodwin eventually handed an eight-match ban for his post-match comments about Ryan Porteous. All in all, a great day out in Leith, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Just an absolutely horrendous set of circumstances across the board, isn't it? I mean, th- th- there's there's really nothing you can dress up about it. Um, th- again, it's just a, a wonderful Duke moment, I guess, heading a ball that low. Most people would swing a boot at it. Not this guy. Not this guy. Yeah. Um, and we were very fortunate as well, if I recall, to not concede shortly after that when uh, uh, Kel Roos kind of slapped the ball at a, his, a Hibs player and it eventually got scuttled away, um, despite... He has that really irritating tendency, I think, Roos, of just saving the ball and letting it drop in the worst possible position and yet somehow getting away with it, which he yeah. did here. But obviously, um, and uh, I, I can't remember if you guys came up with it or if you, you brought it in from um, from uh, from the Derby fans, but uh, the, the, the vampire Dracula nickname, absolutely sensational. I've co-opted that. Um, I've added Cross Veratu to it because I'm an idiot. <laughs> Uh, sensational. <laughs> um, he's a very erratic man. And he rest assured, 
all of our material is secondhand. Oh yeah. Oh, mine too, mate. Mine too, mate. Absolutely. <laughs> you just got to hope that no one else is listening to the same shit that we listen to. It's nice. <laughs> That's it. And then don't they don't draw the line? But um, ah, yeah, well, I mean, they copied us. Hi. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, go go full, pure, no, the, full the, Piers Morgan in the Levison inquiry. I don't recall saying that. <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? Just no sell it. It's fine. Um, obviously, the the, the penalty is a complete shambles. Um, Skills first booking. It's a yeah. It's a tough tackle. It's a very rash one. Um, fair play. Whatever. Whatever. Yellow card. But the second one is 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 shambolic. Um, it's a complete disaster of a call. Uh, I'm not pro var in the slightest, uh, which we'll talk about a little later on, I guess, when it comes into play. Um, but it's the kind of incident where you kind of wish it was there um, because maybe it would sort... To know, in Scottish football, I think that's probably still a penalty kick and it's still a yellow card. I reckon it's still looking Aye. to go, yeah, <laughs> fuck it, why not? Aye, sound, sound. Um, but, I mean, this, it's a complete shambles um, across the board. There's... A couple, there was a couple of other penalty shouts here as well, wasn't there? There was um, Porteous had one before this, and then there was the Jaden Richardson slapping the ball or whatever yeah, it was. McCrory, uh, McCrory. McCrory tried to play basketball for a bit. McCrory, to be fair, that was a penalty right. kick. Um, yeah. That's so, right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, not not a great day. Not a great day at the office, to say the very least. And I mean, you look at one of Campbell's goals. I can't remember if it was his first or his second, but... He's got about 20 yards of space stuck in between Stuart and McCrory. So not only did we have the X factor of the officials and everything else that you can control, we had the elements within our control, that being our defence, specifically away from home, often resembling something with the structural integrity of the Berlin Wall if it was made of puff pastry. Um, (laughs) It's a game that I've I've tried really hard to scrub from my memory. Um, But my appearances on this podcast do coincide with revisiting some of the worst of the worst. So it's quite appropriate this is our second game, I guess. It's, it's good. There's still more to come. Um, <laughs> oh, it gets much worse than this. Um, so I get, in the league, that up to that point, we'd, we'd been kind of notorious for our slow starts to games. And here, you know, Hibs, I seem to recall Hibs were being in a pretty poor run of form, getting a goal against them early, get the crowd on their backs. It was ideal uh, circumstances dodge a few bullets and then it's I think the penalty is quite close to half time it's um, a bulldog headlock that Trish Stratus would have been proud of from from Porteous <laughs> on, on Liam Scales I, I still even if you look at that and say it's a foul I don't see how it's a yellow card personally but whatever um, we're cheated in that moment uh, honestly when we go down to 10 men as well I can't say I had a huge amount of confidence we could see this game out given our defensive fragility i think also we lose hayden colson around that kind of time yeah. to injury jack mckenzie comes on uh dante Polvara, who i mean has he been seen since this game don't i don't think, think so he, i don't think he has um until the recent Ad- atlanta trip uh way out of his depth i mean and then yeah that second hibs goal the josh campbell first it's pretty it's 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 not a goal that's conceded because we're down at 10 men it's just a goal that's conceded because defensive disorganization people just not understanding where the danger truly lies and then the third goal also is is pretty horrendous from a defensive perspective um you look at it and say yeah the purchase the penalty changes the game but i think in days gone by we could expect Aberdeen to have more resilience about us uh, in that second half that just wasn't there and then yeah it's, it's obviously compounded by jim goodwin's um 100 factually correct statement after the after the matter uh, but then you yeah, also that, that ban and what that means as far as an upcoming, well, 
I would assume it's the next upcoming away fixture. Um, yeah, it's uh, a one-two punch. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think as well, you've just prompted me to to remember this, Gavin, about the substitution just on half time. We, so we concede we're down to ten men. The, the penalty is like literally an injury time of, of of the first half, and we make the curious decision there to haul Dukov and put. Polvar on and we shifted McCrory back again and I remember us talking about it at the time that it seemed like a really odd decision by Goodwin to to make that obvious play before half time allowing Hibs to know exactly what we were going to do second half in terms of how we were going to set up and this will come back as a repeating theme later through the rest of the segment as well I imagine but this was the point where I really started to be a little bit concerned about Jim Goodwin's kind of tactical acumen shall we say and his game management I think it's, it's hard to put yourself in that situation not want to make an instant uh, reaction perhaps but yeah I mean there was time to just see what was left that first half out and then uh, gather your thoughts and act with them with the time allowed of half time I also felt that the change itself was a bit I can understand bringing Paul Var on because also we have to drop um, McCrory back in a sort of defence but you know one up top in that kind of game I kind of feel like Maybe we had to manage this game time at that point, but I thought Duke was the obvious person to leave on. Just like, at least then you're going to pin the Hibs backline back, which in turn brings the rest of their team back uh, with his with his pace. Um, we've kind of seen Miofsky's not um, the greatest lone striker in the world, and that's kind of shown uh, by how little threat we were able to pose in that second half. You can't throw the ball into channels for Miofsky to chase down, really, can you? Whereas... Duke, that's exactly the type of thing you could do. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I understand the point. Yeah, I think it was um, rash and um, a symptom of a manager who's yeah still learning. Never fear, though. We were back at home the following week, which meant goals and a win. Uh, as we saw of Kilmarnock, Aberdeen 4, Kilmarnock 1. A double from Bojan Miofsky, bookended by goals from Bajouin, and a first Aberdeen goal for captain Anthony Stewart, which sealed the points. Even a returning Ash Taylor goal, because, you know, obvs, was not enough to stop the Dons from getting back to winning ways. Um, from recollection, again, this is, I talked about it last week with Tom, the Livingston game's got a very special place in my heart because it's my, my little boy's first game. Uh, Kilmarnock, this was his second game, so he's currently Aberdeen 9, the opposition 1 at the moment. Um, try explaining to him that this is not how it goes every single week. But... A really good first half performance from us in the main. We kind of blew Kamarnik away. Uh, we were 3-1 up at half time. All systems go again. I mean, I I love it. I mean, your son is uh, on course for a streak and they off to start somewhere. Even, with, even with jabronis like Livingston and Kilmarnock. Um, I remember going into that game with concern that in a way wasn't really justified because... We've seen before then, we've seen during that game, we've seen since then that Kilmarnock are just objectively speaking terrible. Um, I'm astounded by how easy a Derek McInnes team is to play against um, in the way they are. Uh, not really much to speak about, you know, it was just a straightforward, really easy game. Good day at the office and yeah, after the Hibs debacle, back on track. Up, we know what's coming up next. A uh, good opportunity to just, you know, build some momentum, get a run of results together that all put us in a really strong position going into the uh, going into the World Cup break. Aye, there were um, two specific elements that I quite enjoyed about this performance. Uh, Ash Taylor, um, this was him in a nutshell, really. The way he kind <laughs> of, for for Bajawin's goal, the way the, the ball comes 
if I recall, I think it came in from the left and he tries yeah. to block it. Makes a complete arse of whatever intended clearance he was going for. He falls over, it falls to Bajawin and he he sinks it in. And then of course, like well, like five minutes later, if that, he he nods home from a corner. And you know, if if I was a gambling man, I'd have put every single penny I own on Ash Taylor scoring from a corner against Aberdeen in Derek McInnes' first game against the club since leaving his manager. Um, it really was a complete bingo card for his performance, aside from certain rumours regarding the manager and his wife. If those had surfaced that weekend, it would have been perfect <laughs> for him. Um, but also... No idea what you're talking about there. No, none whatsoever. None whatsoever. Um, uh, and then the other aspect I really enjoyed... I. I Completely have no idea what this gentleman's name is, but the Kilmarnock goalkeeper. Well, this was one of the funniest demonstrations of incompetence <laughs> I think I've seen all season, really. Um, particularly for the penalty. It was just no concept of where he was, no concept of what he was doing with his body, no concept of where the ball was going. Brings him down, Miofsky scores at home. Great stuff, great win. Um, I left this feeling really satisfied that Derek McInnes is no longer our manager. You know, for all the great things he did for the for the club in his first few seasons and, and the cup win and getting into Europe and stabilising and all of that, not to dive back into the great debates that arose when he departed and glass came in and glass started sucking. Um, but just <laughs> ending time revisiting McInnes ball, uh, but being on the other end of it was very cathartic. And, uh, it was, I'm wasn't glad it? That we went our separate ways. Yeah. It really was. It <laughs> actually felt to me that this was the first time that even the people who are still like McInnes acolytes um, or McInnes APA, um, that <laughs> they maybe finally went, you know what, actually, maybe it wasn't a bad idea to jettison him. Like, I think when they saw how Kamar- how bad Kilmarnock were that day, I think for a lot, I think it finally put that whole discussion to bed, I think. Yeah, and as for yeah. people staying within character, that was, of course, like one of the first games of Kyle Laffrey's suspension for getting involved in the of old... Course. In the old sectarianism. Um, just a, a remarkably straightforward game. Yeah, and he's completely right. The goalkeeper, it was like his body became a vessel for the spirit of like Derek Suter or something like that. Bertie Bossy. <laughs> it was Bertie Bossy, our favourite. We spoke about it before. You know. Yes. You know, I, you know, I thought about it the other day, and I have no idea why I thought about this, but Gary would sign for Kilmarnock in the summer. He did. Yeah. And he is third choice goalkeeper at Kilmarnock. Yeah. yeah. Um, Zach Hemmings is the goalkeeper's name you were looking for, Andy. There, there we go. Uh, remember the name, Zach Hemmings. <laughs> um, so, Gav, if you're saying that's a streak, that makes Kilmarnock. Jake well, Roberts, so Liv- Livy would be Jimmy Snooker, and I believe, yeah, I think Jake the Snake would be. That's the first time I think Kilmarnock have ever been compared to Jake the Snake Roberts. But anyway, <laughs> never mind. I'm sure there are some characters in the Kilmarnock town that have lived the kind of life of Jake Roberts, though. Well, that's undoubtedly the case. <laughs> anyway, shall we move on? Um, all eyes before we get, you know. The, the forever and ever guys, the Killy Podcast lads on our case again. Uh, all eyes then on a trip to Tanadice under the lights Saturday night to face a United team bottom of the table without a home win to their name, just one home goal all season. The Dons have been given like five and a half million tickets to sell. We arrive in expectant mood for... Bear in mind as well, we've just vanquished the original Derek McInnes. By this point, United have let go of Derek McInnes from Wish.com. Of course, <laughs> everything is set up for a joyous Aberdeen victory, and then the rest is history. Yeah, Dundee United four, Aberdeen nil, an absolute fucking horror show. Is there anything else we want to talk about about this game? <laughs> I think we talked about this game a lot 
on the uh, in the immediate aftermath, and a lot of undiluted rage was espoused by both of us. Even Graham, and Graham wasn't even there. Graham didn't have to suffer this in person. Um, I'll, all I'll say is, I've said it before, um, it's one of two times I've left a game early in 20-something years when they score the third goal and our American striker was at our corner flag smirking and jaw-jacking with Aberdeen fans about how shit the situation was. So, fuck that guy. And on that day, fuck that team. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck this football club, honestly. (laughs) I feel like I don't need to go back over this again, but has anyone calmed down about this one yet? No. Because I don't feel like I have. It's just the... It is the most... Our our season thing in the history of this season, which I admit is like five months old, but never mind. Um, bottom of the table, terrible form at home, blah, 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 but whatever. Aberdeen soaring, theoretically, after a morale-boosting win over the former manager in Kilmarnock, and then this happens. The lowest of the low. Um, I would quite like to purge this one from my memory as well, but... Um, the only endearing memories I have of it are sadness and and misery and depression <laughs> and listening to your review show on the <laughs> treadmill at work and having the worst workout of my life and going through it all again. <laughs> and now I'm reliving it for a third time. Cheers, lads. <laughs> that that day, I mean, I still think there's a hangover to this day within the squad of that game. I think McCrory's standards have dropped dramatically since then. Um, I don't think Ramadani has reached the standards he was had early on. Stuart's limitations were brutally exposed that day, um, forcing a complete um, formational recalibration of the team. Uh, formational recalibration. Fuck me, Gav. That is a WWE compilation album name right there. That's that's a brand is what that's called. That is a brand. That's that's yeah, branding right there. Uh, Jaden Richardson, um, terrible that day. Um, Nobody was good that day. You could Hayden go through the whole I know, but he's just—it's worth mentioning. In my mind, um, you know, Boyan Miofsky missed a few good opportunities. I missed you, yeah. Bajowin, awful. Pretty much yeah. never seen of ever since. Um, yeah, just a, a dreadful game. And it's like, what? Yeah, it was. It it provoked anger, and that's like pretty hard to do amongst you know, battle hardened, <laughs> battle hardened uh, Aberdeen <laughs> fans that kind of know know the script, know the deal know when it's time to go home and yeah when when jay mcgrath put that third one away it was just yeah it was time to go home yeah and the i mean the own goal is one of the most calamitous it's primary school stuff isn't it I'm like, so i'm so glad i wasn't there to see that well i know yeah, like, I, we were <laughs> i think we just got back to the car and then i could hear all i could hear was like the music again and i think i turned to gav and i was like i think that's another goal and gav's like nah it must just be full time i'm like nah i think it's definitely another goal that gav I'm looking at the phone it's just like yep and then he finally got <laughs> up in the car and said, fucking hell. Yeah, we thought it was a goal. We Aye. hadn't seen it was an own goal. No. And yeah, no. It wasn't until the next couple of days when you see what happens. Like, holy. Kelly, the I one mean... and only time in the game Kelly decided to leave his line. <laughs> Shout for it, man. Come on. <laughs> Literal primary school stuff. Uh, horrendous. Horrendous. But maybe, you know, a couple of years from now when we've won the league, we can look back on moments like this with laughter. And then, of course, afterwards, we learned why it is that Lee Sharp is not uh, allowed to conduct media duties. Oh, fucking hell. I think in a really weird way, I think Lee Sharp actually like made me more angry about the whole thing. Like, I think if that whole thing hadn't happened, I'd have probably calmed down about it within about 24 hours. 
I just anytime I hear the name Lee Sharp, I still just can't get past the scene in the Inbetweeners. Lee Sharp, Lee Sharp, Lee Sharp, Lee Sharp. Ah, oh, it's Roy Keane. <laughs> anyway, shall we move on from that one? I think let's let's, let's do that. Let's because our Jekyll and Hyde season continues with the visit of Hearts the following weekend to the home of football. Aberdeen two, Hearts nil. I switched a back three, um, basically to cover Anthony Stewart's inadequacies at playing football. Uh, a first start of the season for Connor Barron, and after a fairly even Stephen first half, that Hearts probably should have been leading actually at the break because of the miss of the season from um, was it Harry Cochran, Alex, oh, Alex Cochran. Oh, thank you. Um, wrestling away the title of worst miss at Pathology from uh, Miles Story, the Dons though then decide to turn on the style second half. Duke with the opener. Latching onto a fine Ramadani through ball, slotting through Gordon's legs before the Cape Verdean turned provider for the second with one of the most hilarious goals I've ever seen at Potodri Stadium, hobbling on one leg due to cramp, breaking away past some jabroni on the right wing, making his way up the park before feeding the ball to Bajowin, who finished it past Gordon for 2-0. In the end, I, th- I felt we were quite comfortable winners actually against the side who finished third at a canter last season. And Going into this game, like we'd been really fucking angry about the United game, and I don't think we were the only ones. I don't think we were being like all Arsenal fan TV about it. Um, it really felt like this was a must-win going into the game, and so therefore getting the win was well critical. I think actually in terms of Jim Goodwin's position amongst the support, if nothing else. Yeah, um, Duke for that second goal, he turns into JR's proverbial one-legged <laughs> man in an ass-kicking contest. And then proceeds to kick uh, Jambo Arse. It was it was glorious. Um, the changes involved. I mean, I think it was. I think you have to give credit to the manager. Um, I think he recognised, as we say, the the problems that United had given Anthony Stewart, Tony Watt specifically. He could have easily stuck to his guns and stick stuck to a, a four two three one or a four three three kind of setup, but he recognised it and saw the need to make the change. It didn't necessarily, you know work we definitely are let off by Cochran um choosing to do anything but put the ball into an empty net um but yeah in the second half once we kind of got our foot on the ball a little more Clayton Clarkson Connor Barron got involved uh, in the game it's uh, a game-changing moment when Jack McKenzie wins the ball from from Robert Snodgrass and feeds Ramadani who in turn gets the ball to Duke and you know it's, it's a it's a very very composed finish past a good goalkeeper in Craig Gordon for a guy that's we kept being told was very raw and you know might not produce consistently in the way that you'd want to. It's a great finish, and then yeah. Oh, you're talking get... about Duke. I thought you were talking about Craig Gordon being raw, and I was like, what? <laughs> I got so no, confused. No, no, there. no. Craig Gordon is, is um Craig Gordon is, is well, well done. Is well done. Uh, certainly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then get the goal from Bajawin. I know Hearts had injury problems, and they were off the back of a. I feel they'd maybe been to Florence the game before. I can't they remember. had, yeah. I'm sure they had. Um, so, you know, like, everything was there for us to go on and, you know, take the results. But, you know, it's easy saying that. Uh, we actually went and did it. And once again, you're back in that frame of, well, you know what? United happened. It's It was shit. It sucked. But season's back on track now. So let's see what we can do from here. I mean, it was quite satisfying following this from afar to see us come away with the 2-0 win after some of those early scares, like the Cochrane one obviously is very funny, uh, but also very worrying. 
And yeah. Shankland, if I recall, had a pretty decent chance soon after that as well. I think Shankland should have scored. Um, it's like a bit of a, he tried to loft it over yeah. Roos and really got it badly wrong. It's almost like he showed why he's not probably much more than a championship level striker. Aye, that's it. That's it. So like literally anyone else on the end of that, uh, not literally, but you know, someone else on the end of that, maybe we go 1-0 down. Maybe if Cochrane doesn't forget how to use his legs correctly, we might be 2-0 down. And I think Roos had a save from a long-range effort not too long after that. Duke misses a one-on-one. You look at these passages of play and think, okay, this isn't going to be our day. But, you know, the the, the goals are genuinely very, very good stuff. Uh, the ball from Ramadani for the first and then the finish. And then, like, Duke's assist for the second is the kind of thing that makes a cult hero. And he's... He's kind of already there anyway, with the you know the 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 overhead kick and the low header and the in his debut. My favorite Duke moment so far. I know this was in the previous episode technically, but I want to go back to it because it's let's just, go back to it because it is amazing. A, yeah, demonstrates how much of a hero this bloke is to me. I think it was his first game, but when he comes off the bench and he has that trio of misses inside the box where he falls over after seemingly each one <laughs> does not seem to have a clue what he's doing at any stage but he's the most enthusiastic man perhaps in the country. Uh, these are the moments to make a cult hero and uh, he's well on his way. Obviously, it's in performances like this as well, though, that show that um, the, the talk of him being a project player and all that stuff was maybe a bit of a misread because he's showing genuine quality here. His pace and power, obviously, are two things that you'd go to right away, but and it, to the point where it almost feels like a cliche, but it's absolutely true. This guy running at defences just pulls people all over the place. When he's cooking, no one seems to have a clue how to deal with him. Even when he's only got one working leg towards the end, Hearts didn't know how to deal with him. So uh, one of my favourite performances from one of my favourite players in the Don shirt in years, and very satisfying to beat Hearts of all teams in this manner as well. Absolutely. Uh, we set us up for... Uh... League Cup quarterfinal tie midweek against Partick Thistle. Aberdeen 4, Partick Thistle 1. Now, progress in the League Cup semi-final was all that mattered. Um, This looked like a tricky tie at home um, on paper against a high-flying Thistle team at the time. I think they were top of the table or or second top, joint top of the championship. But our first half performance again, full of pace and verve at home, meant that any thoughts of a cup upset were swiftly put to bed. Duke with a goal which was eerily reminiscent of the goal he scored against Hearts to open things up. Um, an own goal off that. I'm going to give it to Hayden Coulson. Coulson got two here, um, and we were three up after 34 minutes. And truth be told, we kind of eased up quite a bit in that second half. We actually shifted back to a four at the back for a while, um, and we looked incredibly ropey all of a sudden in doing so. Brownlee with a goal back for Thistle, but it never really got particularly angsty. Ryan Duncan with an absolute beauty of a goal on 85 minutes to seal things into the last four of the League Cup, which is all that really matters. But I suppose at the same time, after what happened at Tannadice, literally just, you know, 10 days before, good again to get a, a, a decent batch of goals against a team who were doing well, Thistle. They've kind of really go off a cliff after this game, which is exactly what Ray Bradshaw suggested might happen when we spoke to Ray. Um, but a good performance professionally done in the last four. That's all you can ask for, really, isn't it? Yeah, we, we sent Ian McCall's team into an absolute tailspin off the back of that result and uh, still recovering to state. I mean, the first half, like you say, I mean, we just, Duke especially, it's, there's no getting away from it. He ran their centre-backs ragged. I think the guy Muirhead gets hooked after about half an hour because if he doesn't get hooked, he's getting sent off because he just can't deal with Duke other than than bringing him down. Uh, three good goals, you know, just it was, it was comfortable. Um, like you say, Partick were a good team. You have to be happy with 
cup draws where you're getting drawn home against teams in the league below you, but we'd seen the season prior, seasons beyond that, you know, the cup games are there, you know, the upsets are what cups are all about. And we just, it was a very professional performance. Um, you want to kind of see us going out in the second half and playing with the same kind of verve, but I also understood why we just took our foot off the gas a little bit. And it's a, it's a disappointing goal to concede. It was a set piece. Uh, ball travels a long way. I think that's Kelrus definitely could do better to, to save it. But nevertheless, we at least get there. We get to sign off on a really positive note with just, you know, like you say, Ryan Duncan and absolute worldie from him. And kind of oh, another reason why, even though the back three has worked pretty well up till now, since we've shifted to it, especially at home, leaves me feeling a little bit bittersweet because it kind of limits the opportunities for someone like Ryan Duncan to get genuine game time. Because, yeah, I'll say it again. I think that kid's got a whole lot of talent that we should be seeing a lot more of. And after what had been obviously a miserable result of Tannadice, those two wins, the Hearts and the Thistle game, I think, were massive um, to then set up a trip to Fir Park as we looked to put three wins together on the spin. And guess what? We fucking did it. Motherwell won, Aberdeen two, a home, an away win, sorry, that wasn't in Perth or Livingston for the first time since, I want to say December 2019, I guess, Kilmarnock. Um, I've been distracted, sorry, because I've noticed that the, the Spain-Germany game's finished, the finished 1-1. Um, Germany equalised through a guy with the most German name going, Niklas Fulkrug, with the equaliser. What a name that is. Anyway, Mobile 1, Aberdeen 2, the, the first ever game under the auspices of VAR. Um, the Dons finally getting a win on the road, like I said, other than in Perth or Livingston. Miofsky with an unbelievably delicious opener on four minutes um an incorrect offside call being overruled by var here and i've said it before maybe it's a good time to 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 jump in this now i think i said at the time i have a sneaky suspicion that aberdeen we might actually be net beneficiaries of var because of the way that our striking options look at the moment because you know back in the back in the bad old days um that goal's ruled out because of an idiot linesman I mean, when you actually watch it back in, Miofsky's clearly onside. Because of how often like Miofsky and, and Duke in particular will play on the shoulder of defenders, um, I do wonder if those marginal decisions that previously would have probably been given against us might actually benefit us a lot more. And you saw it in this instance here. Let's just talk about Miofsky's confidence as well, quickly, to finish like this. He, he had a chance, eerily similar to this against Muddle in the, in the reverse fixture early in the season, tried to chip Kelly, made a complete pig's ear of it. Talk about the nuts to decide to try and do it again, but this time pull it off. I believe the term is testicular fortitude. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly as it wasn't as well, like this goal wasn't exactly in a rich vein of form for him as well. Um, he had, was it against, I can't remember, but there was a, one of these previous games, he had a really, really horrendous miss, but he just made a well, complete meal. I think it was the Hibs game, was it? Oh, Hibs both, and United. Both Hibs and United. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And then we, you know, we started, thinking maybe this guy is is not quite what we'd been led to believe he is and whatever. But then you look at the quality of this finish and and it's uh, it's abundant that he is. Um, yeah, I mean, I, unfortunately, my takes on VAR kind of side me with the worst people in football fandoms. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of it from a pure perspective, per, uh, spectator's point of view and what it does to the natural flow of the game and all of that stuff. Uh, that does put me on 
the same boat as a bunch of gammons, which I don't really like, but it is what it is. Um, <laughs> but in this case, of course, it's, it's clearly a force for good because I, I watched highlights of all these games just before we came back on to, to refresh. And yeah, I mean, there's at least like a foot or a half a foot or whatever of space there. And it's a really marvellous finish from a player uh, we will do well to get longer than a season out of, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Motherwell with an equaliser on 55 minutes through McKinch Street, which I imagine had well, the three of us on the call and pretty much every Aberdeen fan on the planet feeling the worst, but for once... Evan Van V winner incoming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but for once, it wasn't to be Duke stooping again home. <laughs> the left foot is what, is what you swing that at. <laughs> yeah, stooping to head another Mackenzie cross off of the ground, practically. Marvin um, Andrews-esque. Exactly. In it goes, three points ahead for the northeast. A great way to round off the week. Fantastic. I've just realised I've mixed my Duke headers up as well from earlier on, but that's okay. They're both the audacious. Hip, the... the Hibs one is audacious as well. It wasn't quite yeah. off the ground, but it was a ludicrous header from a yeah. ridiculous he's, angle. He's a ludicrous man. I love him so yes. much. Um, yeah. Even. Really nice to get one over Kevin Van Veen for a change. Every single time we play Motherwell, there's one Motherwell follower I have on Twitter who slides in the mentions with a little dig about <laughs> Kevin Van Veen being Zlatan or whatever. So it was nice. To, it was nice to get one over. Uh, I'm sure that bloke, I'm sure that guy's a lovely bloke, but you know, I've got no time for Kevin Van Veen. Um, <laughs> uh, the goal was their goal was. I mean, it's a good finish from McKinstry, but I I don't know how he ends up that far in front of McCrory to then take it away and then slam it home. That was yeah. another. Um, sign that we still have a lot of work to do defensively, but in the end, it ultimately doesn't matter because we have two strikers who can conjure these ridiculous moments of magic, and that's ultimately been the difference here. And of course, that sort of result, the runner form were on three wins on the spin, coupled with Rangers being in the midst of all sorts of crises. Crisy? Crisy? Crisy. Lexus Lexi. Um, There were reasons to be optimistic that the Dons could go to Ibrox and heap the pressure on Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, wasn't there? Well, I mean, this, of course, is the time when Rangers are well on their way to becoming the statistically worst team in Champions League history, of course. Um, But they were still in pretty good domestic form, which I think maybe got overlooked by some people. And uh, yeah, I think some people maybe overestimated our our chances here uh, because, as we saw much that pains me to say there's still a, a significant gulf between our two teams. Uh, yes, uh, Rangers 4, Aberdeen 1. So despite taking the lead through Conor Barron's first goal for the club, we end up being swept aside as Rangers mm. completely exploited our tactical naivety in what can only be described as a brutal 90 minutes. Uh, this one was Rangers going on 9 or 10 if the home team had had their shooting boots on. A really horrendous afternoon all round, this one. And it felt to me that it seemed to set us back three steps again after we'd taken a couple forward during the week running up to this one. And it it was the tactical naivety again that still, still grates with me. And I've heard a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people, I've spoken to a lot of people who've said, you know, results at Ibrox don't dictate your season and any team can go to Ibrox and get spanked for four. But it was the manner of the defeat that really upset me at the time. And it's still rankles with me and it still leaves me this big concern about about Jim Goodwin's kind of ability to see what's happening on a pitch and adapt to it. Yeah, absolutely. I think I mean the there's a lot went wrong, obviously, with this game. Um we do have this 
our waveform is, you know, obviously really, really horrendous. Um, so there's lots of questions to be asked there. But when you consider the 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 manner of this performance in particular against a team that weren't exactly performing at the peak of their powers for them to defeat us as such a canter was extremely disappointing. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Barron's shot was the only... Barron's goal, sorry, was the only shot on target we had, I think. And it was barely a shot on target. Yeah, because it was a scruff. It was a scruffy finish after some good work from Duke um, to break into the box and, and, and... and effectively set the chaos up that resulted in the finish. But they they, they just cut us to ribbons uh, thereafter. There was a counterattack immediately afterwards. Um, and then, you know, they, they, they don't score from that one, but then soon after, um, Cholak scores. Stewart moves away to try and get to the ball, leaving him in the middle. There's, there's no one there picking up the man for it and that the whole move kind of summed up the performance we were porous we were gutless um just a horrendous a horrendous performance given their situation you'd think they would be fired up to raise our game against rangers in in this situation in any situation really because they're bloody rangers uh and yet here we are this was a really dismal one you can look at the golf in in quality and budgets and positions and everything else but the least you should expect from performances against those teams is uh, a bit of fight and a bit of effort. And uh, we had absolutely none of that. Even after we scored, it felt like we just crumbled straight away. Yeah. Um, I remember being out walking the dog was one and the notification coming through my phone that Connor Barron had scored, followed by the immediate notification that Rangers had equalized, you know, within minutes later. And I remember saying to Matilda, like, checking my phone about 10 to 4 and saying I guarantee you Rangers have scored on halftime and that's what's happened of course and then from there on we're never getting back in the game um, a collective failure of at uh, the team uh, the management I would agree um, the entire squad and yeah just a, a game that indicated that there's individuals within the squad that to me are just simply not up to the standard of being Aberdeen players, if we want to be a team that are up the right end of the league, you know, challenging and uh, making realistic goals at, at the Cups. Let's move on from that one, shall we, really quickly. Um, because Friday Night Football was back at Pataudry for Aberdeen 4, Hibs 1. The Dons hitting 4 at home again as Pataudry's VAR cherry was popped in the most entertaining of fashions. A brace from Miofsky, a first goal in red for Ilba Ramadani and a wonderfully out Audacious backfield finish by Leighton Clarkson, exacting some revenge on the Leith side after the reverse fixture early in the season. A consolation goal from uh, Kuracevic, not enough to threaten the three points remaining in the northeast. Yet Gava managed to, uh, managed to nail that pronunciation this time after last time out. Uh, no, you didn't. No? Kukarevic? There we go. Excellent. What did I say? Kuracevic. Kuracevic. me. <laughs> What's his first name? Max. Max, what's it called Max from now? <laughs> um, Max, Max 99. Maxwell. Anyway, there we Maxwell go. Maxwell Jacob Kukarevich. <laughs> MJK. <laughs> As he's known. <laughs> um, yeah, bit of an, this was a bit of an odd one. I mean, I was, all right, I, I, I think I spoke a bit when we recorded the review of the game anyway at the time. I was in corporate for this one. So I was pretty well lubricated throughout the entire game. Um, my general recollections it was a wee bit iffy first half i thought um the penalty on half time and all that goes with it 
um, Rivar turns the game, I think, a little bit. And, and we're very comfortable second half. But can we all just agree that for at least one game anyway, VAR was funny as fucking bits for a period of time? It was the most uh, cinch implementation of VAR you could possibly <laughs> hope for this, wasn't it? <laughs> what a sequence of events. What a sequence of events, man. It was... Uh, I, that was one of those moments where I, I, I was... When VAR first broke out in 2018, I enjoyed these moments of madness. But as it's been implemented in other leagues that aren't as dedicated to the patter as ours is, obviously, it's uh, become rather joyless. So it was kind of a refreshing to see the, the comedic uh, embryonic stage of VAR resurface with this thing and to see David Marshall go from national hero, saves the penalty against Serbia... He's terrified because he came off. Did he come off his line? He's checking, he's checking, he's checking. And then here, he actually does come off his line and he looks like a bit of a twat. It's very poetic. I quite I love it. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about cinch implementation. I mean, got to give props here to Police Scotland who decided to walk the Hibs Young team past the main stand at roughly quarter past seven, so 15 minutes before kickoff. Uh, the atmosphere, I thought I was unconsciously going to get dragged into a Royal Rumble, honestly. Uh, <laughs> But the game itself, I mean, I a think bunkhouse brawl on Bunkhouse brawl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good reference. About to become an autumn stampede. Um, yeah, the first half itself was, I felt there was not really much in it. Thought Hibs were controlling the ball a little too much for my liking. All while not really doing much with it. Um, of course, this point, kind of time Martin Boyle's out because they're resting him with the idea of saving him for the World Cup. Weird. Um, and I thought, I thought even though they were getting into good opportunities, like positions, our defense was actually quite resolute, which you wouldn't expect off the back of Tara Dice and more specifically Ibrox um, the week before. Um, I've said at the time, yeah, um, VAR, I completely get Andy's perspective on VAR and how it disrupts the flow of the game, but being in the red shed and watching this drama unfold at the other end of the pitch, I found it, you know, invigorating almost just the uh the drama of the whole thing of just like that whole moment of like as the team that are in the position where the decision needs to be overturned for it to go in our favor knowing the longer it goes on the longer it goes on there's more of a chance and then of course he makes the signal and he goes to the screen at the side and, just like, and you know at that point we're getting this penalty that's how vir works and yeah, of course, then Miofsky misses it and fucking gutted, uh, looking just the most typical Aberdeen way yeah. to take our first VAR penalty. And then a minute passes and suddenly it's like, no, no, back, back again. We need to do this all over again. And could have sworn in the red shed, it looked Miofsky had missed it again. But thankfully he hadn't. And um, from that point on, it was only going to be one winner. I think I spoke about it at the time after the Hibs game because, of, like I say, it was hospitality. I was right up against the back wall of the lower part of the Dick Donald so we could just see in the corporate boxes and see their TV screens. And so they were already showing the replays of Marshall saving the pen and I'm watching it thinking, he's off his line. This is going to get called back. So we, there's like three or four of us there already, like we're, we are VAR, right? And we're like, this is getting called back. And then you, you watch the play develop in the park for a bit and then you could just watch the referee putting his finger to his like ear and then he was like, stop the game and you're like there we go and the best bit about it was like hips to be fair to them brought up actually quite a good travel support for this one on the friday night and they were very quiet very quiet but the whole sequence not nearly as loud as they are on twitter no no very (laughs) good point 
the That'd whole be hard. sequence the whole sequence though was absolutely brilliant because initially they think Duke's offside so they're giving it the big one and then again because we where we are we can look at it and I'm like he's not offside so this is now going to be a, a call about penalty and every time you watch the penalty back again I, every time I watched it I was like more convinced every time that this is a penalty because what I didn't understand was there was an angle from behind the goal that actually showed there being much more contact with Duke than the one that everyone got their knickers in a twist about um and I was like, if they show the ref that one, this is a penalty. And like the Hibs fans are giving it, oh. and then the pens are giving you like, yes, brilliant, great stuff. And then the saves, they're giving it all the big one again. And then you're watching it, and you're like, this is going to get pulled back. This is going to get pulled back and for it to happen. Honestly, like I am no fan of VAR like at all. But for 10 minutes, I was pure buzzing off of VAR. It was the greatest thing in the planet. I think I was probably going into the corporate chant in VAR, VAR. Um, it was amazing, absolutely brilliant <laughs> stuff. And then the second <laughs> half was 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 really good. It was like that thing where you can see us suddenly in flashes this season. We've not really knitted it together for long enough for ninety minutes, I don't think. But that second half, I thought we were really, really good. Um, and I was delighted for a for Miofsky getting a goal from open play because there's been a lot of criticism about him in terms of his his goal tally being boosted by um, by taking penalties. Great header. I loved Ramadani scoring in front of the Shred Shed. I just, I love this man. Andy will come on in a minute to the, the rankings for the season. Gav's still a bit dubious about him. I can see Gav just giving me a fucking 20 yard stare right now about Ramadani. But there no, we go. No, I was just going to say his celebration was a la CM Punk after he won the title. <laughs> Except for the fact he didn't. Like, you know. <laughs> he didn't break his foot in the process. But yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we know what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> and then imagine if Ramadani had gone on a proper like post-match press conference rant like that. <laughs> <laughs> He's been brawling with Ross McCrory after the show. <laughs> That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? That'd be brilliant. I'd love to cover it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> who Boy inviting and who? Boy and Miofsky's dog somehow involved. Yeah. Yeah, well, that makes sense because that's why Miofsky couldn't get here earlier because we were waiting for permission for his dog to arrive in the country. <laughs> um, who would be biting who? Who would be who? Who do you reckon the team's a biter? Oh, Kel Roos, Dracula! Come on, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Kim. Well, uh, I, I'm sorry. I, this is the first time I've got a chance to ask you about this, Andy. Actually, right? What do you reckon's going through Tony Khan's mind through that entire presser? Like, because he's just sitting there, like, oh, mate. <laughs> You can see the yeah. point at which his soul leaves his body, can't you? Yeah. Um, I, I I love Tony Khan. I think um, he, you know, for not to bog down in wrestling discourse or whatever. No, but we're but going like, to. We're going to take a, this right turn. Fuck it. It's fine. Let's do it. Let's do it. He's an extremely entertaining public-facing individual mm. because he's completely nuts. Um, he continues the long-running tradition of wrestling promoters being completely out of their mind. Um, so you sit there and almost as enjoyable a show of this during CM Punk's blow up, during his big rant, everything that leads to an eventual fight with his own bosses backstage, Tony Khan's face is almost as entertaining during the whole thing. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's absolutely sensational. What's going through his mind at the time? I have no <laughs> idea whatsoever because somebody who was present and in, in the moment and kind of an assertive leader would shut it down immediately, wouldn't they? Yeah. As soon as he, yeah, as soon as he goes after the journalist and goes, "Do you know Scott Colton?" Blah blah blah. It's like, okay, no, you 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 go away for an hour, come back later, calm down. Yeah, blah blah. We'll blah. leave this. Yeah, I think yeah. you would just kind of tell. He's a gift, man. Let, listen, Phil, take your muffin. 
They're good muffins. They're good muffins. Yeah, Don't get me wrong. Uh, enjoy that. Enjoy your kids. Chill, chill the fuck out. I think it's just the bit where it's like, you know, these VPs who are meant to be like, they couldn't run a fucking Walmart or whatever it is. And you're just <laughs> yeah. like, oh, mate, like, at that point, that's where I thought you should probably just step in and be like, right. Yeah. Done. Fuck Tony me. Khan in that moment looked like how I felt whenever I watched Stephen Glass's Aberdeen team. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just wish stuff like just, this would just happen kind, in football, just, man. Kind yeah. of helpless, I think, is the word, as you see. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it was. There's probably now, but I reckon... 90% of our listenership just being like, what the fuck are they on about now? Aye. If, you, if, skip, skip. if you've literally got no idea what we're talking about, go and look up CM Punk All Out press conference on YouTube. Even if you don't know who these guys are, it's still really fucking funny, right? And the guy to his right, as you're watching it, Tony Khan, who owns AEW, his face throughout it, he's effectively Dave Cormack. Right? He's the Dave Cormack of AEW. Right? That's a good comparison, to be fair. <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> Don't watch it. It's funny as fucking bits. Anyway, shall we move back to the football? I mean, um, for some further context, Phil CM Punk, Phil Brooks is a failed UFC fighter, and Tony Khan owns Fulham Football Club. In there there you go. Excellent. Um, Leighton Clarkson. Leighton Clarkson's... Um, I think of beauty. Another moment of inspiration from the guy, isn't it? Just yes, he's got quite the show to you. Yeah, he does. Um, very fun player to watch in his pomp. Absolutely, I love the story about him coming in, just like starting within hours and then scoring that goal in his debut and everything else. It just uh, this this was just ridiculous. I mean, the defending for it, right? God, yeah, not to be a party pooper or whatever but it's horrendous defending oh, uh, in the lead defending. up to it yeah, it's, yeah. it's Aberdeen-esque <laughs> it's great well it's great because um, Ryan Portis is involved twice in fuck up exactly I, I take great pleasure in <laughs> exactly so to to see that the, the kind of combination of them being so incompetent in that moment and then him just going you know what I'm just going to backheel this marvellous <laughs> it's just that kind of thing that I, I don't feel that between him and Duke especially that ability just to innovate is just something that I, I feel we've been lacking for so, so long now. And to have two players like that on your team is makes us a lot of fun to watch at home anyway, um, because we're back on the road again for Livingston 2, Aberdeen 1. Um, with two games to go until the World Cup break, you'd imagine there's huge focus on finishing with six points, going to the break in the best possible shape we can. And once again, an absolute... A howler of a performance on the road, especially for the first 45 minutes. Um, Fitzwater, a goal from Kelly from a penalty spot, meant that we had all to do. Miofsky misses a penalty just on half time, which just kind of compounds things. Duke with a penalty on 58. Sorry, 58 minutes sparks us into action. And despite loads of ball, loads of opportunities, we couldn't find an equaliser. And it's an incredibly bad result on the road once again. Yeah, horrendous stuff. Um... I remember being out this the day this game was on and then, you know, getting the live score pings coming through. Um, I mean, that's how I consume most of my football, to be honest, being so far away from Aberdeen. But it's particularly grim when you're not even 20 minutes in and you're on the road and it's Livingston and they're 2-0 up. Um, but, I mean, going back and, and looking at it, it just looked like even from the... I think it was Moyo had a chance early on. It just gave the impression that they were pulling our defence all over the place. Uh, and they're certainly not the first team 
to do that this season. Um, but with all due respect to Livingston, they're not exactly a team you would pinpoint as the most dynamic or potent attacking side in the league. So you'd hope for a bit more organisation there. But yeah, I mean, Barron's hands in a bit of a silly place for the penalty. So, you know, make the call what you will, but you can see why it was given. It looked like we created a few chances towards the end of the first half. Like Miofsky had the header, but when you're missing penalties and stuff, I mean, their their keeper, to be fair, had I think he had a very good game, seven or eight saves. Yeah, yeah. Shamal George, I think his name is, had a good game. So probably kept the score down a little bit, but at the same time, um, Miofsky with that penalty, perhaps showing why he went from Budapest to Aberdeen and not Budapest to like maybe a Championship club in England or whatever. Um, yeah, not a bad day at the office, uh, to say the very least. The point at which our away form truly becomes a meme if it hadn't already. Uh, Grim? Um, get £20 down the drain to Livingston Football Club for that uh, pay-per-view live game that I took in there. Um, premium live event, I think they're called. Premium these live yeah. event, absolutely. Yes. Sir, on, please. On the, on the Livingston <laughs> FC network. Um <laughs> And we talked about it beforehand, and you know it's it's all backed up with the the stats and the data that Livingston are a team that like to surrender possession, and you know they are they're dangerous when they go forward because of their because they for so many years now they've worked on what they're what they're good at, which is you know being physical and getting the ball into the channels and creating set pieces, and but they pressed us with real intensity that we just didn't appear prepared for, and you know our midfield was overrun. It was the, it's the kind of the chance you take with having players as talented as Bar as Barron and Clarkson are that in the games when the team are physical in the midfield, they might uh, just you know not be up for that that side of the game. And I think that our experienced players weren't pulling rank and getting people in this position and making us just hard to beat in these in these early stages as well. And I mean, for that first half hour, it just felt anytime the ball went in our box, we we're going to concede a goal here. It was just yeah, it was horrendous. And then we get the a slice of luck you know um it's a late in clarkson shot that hits the bar but it takes a, a deflection off jason holt's hand on the way and you're thinking right well we've been terrible and this game could be three four five whatever you want to call it now let's get in two one and the game changes completely like candy says you know miofsky it's a it's a poor penalty i think in, in the grand scheme of things and then you know i i, I feared the worst Managed to get back into it again, you know, second penalty, Duke puts it away. But then from that point on, I, just, I never felt like we were going to, never felt we had enough in us to to go on and get that equaliser. Um, even though Livingston were true to form, they sat in and they just consumed all of our possession, um, all of our efforts to get the ball into their box. Um, yeah, just another, yeah, uh, there's nothing else to say other than that. It was just a really poor show um, all around and a reason why we're going to be such a, such a mixed bag, I think, for the rest of the season. Absolutely. Which brings us on to the last game before the before the World Cup break. Uh, Aberdeen won, Dungeon United nil. Saturday night football returns as Aberdeen looked to exact revenge on United for that horror show we spoke about earlier on at Tanadice in October. Miofsky with the penalty on 37 minutes settles this one. Not exactly a vintage performance, it's fair to say. United had loads of ball, especially in that final 25 minutes, but really failed to create anything a note. Three points secured. We we go into the break now in third spot in the semi-final of the League Cup. Realistically, um, was that about as good as we could have expected to have been at this point in the season, given the number of turnover players, etc. in the summer? And just, I guess, Andy, your general thoughts on just where we're at at the moment. I think if you'd 
the old cliche, if you'd said at the start of the season, we'll be in third, we'll be in the semi, all of that, I would have 100% taken it any day of the week um, because last year was just such a nothing season um, that gave us very little reason to be hopeful for the, the one coming ahead. And we had the high player turnover, as you mentioned there. Um, but yeah, absolutely would have taken that. At the same time, there's no, I would hate to use that as an excuse for some of our performances, uh, nonetheless. I mean, obviously, you know, you go away to Ibrox, you don't always expect to get something, but that was a horrific performance. Dundee United away, obviously, um, the Hibs defeat. Some of these performances absolutely have things in them that you could pick apart and go, okay, this was a mistake, we should have done better here, blah, 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 we should have applied this. So it, it, it's a tricky situation. Um, when you bring in 14 or 15 players, however many we brought in, it was a whole lot. It's very, very difficult to get any consistency. I think very early in the season in particular, um, it really looked like a bunch of strangers on the parks for long fields, uh, for long periods. But we're now getting to the point where that really shouldn't be a thing, you know, where these guys have been together for four or five months. Um, We have various other problems that we need to figure out, like what's going on away from home. Why is it that, that some days we can look like this well, some periods, because like you say, sometimes it's not even across 90 minutes, we can look like this extremely potent attacking threat that when we're completely in full flow, nobody can really deal with us to just being a complete calamity at other times. I think that um, this will probably be a pivotal moment for Jim Goodwin in his career as well, because there are some clear issues that he needs to address, the ones I've just mentioned, that if he can find a solution to them, then he's clearly going to go on to have a long, successful managerial career. If he can come away and look at some of these away performances and look at these defensive combinations and go, this is where this went wrong, I'm going to fix this. Um, But if he can't, then this might be the peak for him. Um, We'll see. But yeah, so far, relatively satisfied. I expected a very very inconsistent season from us across the board based primarily on that turnover of players. I've been mostly satisfied with the people we've brought through the door. I hope that uh, uh, Darren Mowbray stayed busy in these past few months and got a few more gems up the sleeve, particularly if we can bring in a bit of money for some of these performances, uh, for some of these players that are playing well, which is clearly the business plan now. Um, So yeah, to kind of summarize my ramblings, uh, would have taken it 100% at the start of the season. I think we're in a relatively good position given the circumstances, but some of these defeats, um, if not avoidable, need to be learned from in order to make sure that they hopefully don't happen again. Great stuff. Look, Andy, let's quickly rattle through the, the players um, who've come in in the summer. Let's get your thoughts on it. We did it with Tom last week. I'm interested to get your thoughts. Um, quick, on the button, marks out of 10. I almost feel we should go like with Melts or Star ratings here. What would if like whatever he decides he wants to do that week, basically? Andy can just decide how many stars they get. All right, sound. Let's do it. How many stars <laughs> out of ten? Out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> out of ten. Ten stars available here. Right, anyway, again, there are people like, what the fuck is a Meltzer rating? Anyway, look it up. Um, <laughs> basically, don't want to know. Let's go. Kel Roos. Uh, Kel Roos is. Oh, God. Um, two. No. No, wait. We're going out of 10. Four. Out of 10. Four. I think, yeah. He has uh, demonstrated him an adept shot stopper at times, um, but a completely incompetent one at others, and uh, the nickname is warranted, I feel. Um, Excellent. He's, I don't think he's an upgrade on Joe Lewis whatsoever. Anthony Stewart, our new captain. Uh, uh, on a good day, a seven. On a bad day, a three. Uh, so we'll go... With a five, right in the middle. Um, 
It's a five star review. Someday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, technically a five star defender. <laughs> um, Liam Scales. Liam Scales. Uh, seven and a half. Oh, 7.5. Nice. I think, um, yeah, the most composed of our defenders. I hope we can keep hold of him. I hope that Celtic signing that Japanese lad the other day is a sign that perhaps they don't see a long term future for him because uh, he is nowhere near as blood, rush of blood to the head as some of our other defenders. Yeah, and, and interesting that that defender that Celtic side is left hand sided. Left hand? Left side. Left handed. <laughs> he's left handed. <laughs> so he's going to do really well in. <laughs> Which is good. Joe Hart's fucking terrible to going to his left. <laughs> That's also, go. That is very true. Um, yeah, he's left sided, so that does you would imagine push scales right. Is he a left back or a left center, a center back? I think he could play either position, but he's he's played recently center half. So, but on the left hand side, anyway. Um, Jaden Richardson. Um, tough. Don't want to be too harsh because he's clearly a developing player, but his weaknesses are quite apparent. Uh, and I don't think that his strengths are much to compensate for them. So four out of ten for Jaden Richardson. Uh, Hayden Coulson. Seven. Um, I wasn't as high on him coming in in his first appearance. I thought he looked a bit scrappy, looked a bit lost, looked a bit all over the place. But he's clearly settled into the rhythms of the team, uh, become a very dependable choice at left back. And uh, originally I was panicking about our options at left back at the start of the season. He has gone some way to alleviating those concerns. He's looked good. Leighton Clarkson. Oh man, he might be the toughest of them all because he's he's a ten at his best moments, and yet there were some performances, particularly early on, where he looked like um, obviously capable of magic. But after the debut, there were certainly a few where I thought he was going to dare I say it go the way of old Matty Longstaff um, in some of his general passages of play, obviously outside the moments. But I do think he's kind of found himself a bit more since then. So um, the highs are very high. Seven. Seven. I see the Matty Longstaff still can't get a game for uh what jobbers is he at now? Um Colchester. Colchester. Colchester United. There we go. Wow, heady heights. Can't get a game for them anymore. Anyway. Um Elber Ramadani. I love this guy, so my rating's a bit biased. Uh I'll go for an eight. Based on my enjoyment of the man more than anything else. Look, he's had his he's had his ropey performances for sure. Um I mean, the, those first 15 minutes against Celtic in particular were some of the worst minutes I've seen from an Aberdeen player all season. Yeah. Um, but on his day, um, I enjoy the composure he brings to our centre midfield and he fucking loves playing for the Dandies. So I'm giving him an eight. Biased. No, no, I'm the same. I, I, the, but there is that thing, isn't there, though? But when you see a player who genuinely looks like they fucking love being here and who, who has got no connection whatsoever with this football club, like... Elba Ramadani probably couldn't have picked out Aberdeen or a map. Like, I don't think that's been disrespect. Maybe he's got a fucking master's in geography for all I know. But, like, I, I've, I doubt when he was at Budapest, when we went and approached him, he could have picked out Aberdeen or a map. And so for him to just come in and embrace the whole thing, the passion he shows for being here, uh, it goes such a long way, doesn't it, to even masking some of the, the shortcomings sometimes in a performance. Absolutely. Just, uh, he's kind of the primary guy I was speaking about earlier when talking about the mythical beast that is character which is often overrated when people talk about football i think but it's evident in a guy like him who's just decided to uh fully apply himself to this weird project that we've got going on at the moment and uh 
Yeah, it's joyous. I, I like seeing his enthusiasm come out when it reflects your own. It makes it very easy to enjoy the guy. It makes you blind to some of his flaws as well, I've learned as well. Yeah, I agreed. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, his old mucker, the second half of the chaps, Bojan Miofsky. Oh, man. See, I, f- I really should have thought of this scale in advance now because I'm going to have to give Miofsky like an eight and a half or something. Um, yeah. Has he really been an eight and a half out of ten? I don't know. But compared to, you know, levels, whatever, contextually. Um, yeah, clearly, you know, you've seen from some of the one-on-ones he's missed and you see from the way he struggles when he's up there on his own and um, the, the penalty uh, in particular. Uh, the, there are He's clearly still a developing player uh, at 23 years old, which is fine. That's why he's here. Um, but at the same time, I think that we will be, I know he's uh rubbish talk of leaving in January or whatever, or maybe that was just some nonsense I read on the gossip column. Um, but we'll be lucky to keep hold of this guy for longer than a year. I think he is going to fit our new model of finding these players and selling them on for millions. Uh, we'll get at least double our Sam Cosgrove money for this bloke. I think on his best days, he's fantastic. He links the play really well. I love the combination he's built up with Duke and I'd love to keep him forever, but we're not going to be able to do that. So cheers for the season, mate. Thank you for clearing some of our debt. Hope we can find someone who's at least half as good for you next summer. It's genuinely, it's genuinely the case, isn't it? It's like, I hope to fact we found like a second Miofsky somewhere languishing <sighs> in some league in deepest, darkest East, Eastern Europe somehow that's, you know, like, I mean like Budapest as well, they were horseshit last season, got relegated. Um, yeah. and, and Tom picked up on it last week you know when you saw Shuri it was like okay uh, but then it was like oh, some of them are a lot, a lot of these are sclaffy finishes and tap-ins and stuff and you're like I don't know there's a lot of class about Miofsky I must admit um, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what ends up happening here I think uh, he actually he spoke with Philip Mishoff who was the guy we spoke to when we signed Miofsky he's a Macedonian sports journalist to get the kind of download on him and he, he spoke to him when he was with Macedonia last week on international duty and it was it was a, through that interview that he said he expects to be here for the season which I thought was quite an interesting choice of language as well because I was like that's I'm not going to go anywhere in January but there's a good chance yeah. I might be off ski come um come summer and and I guess that will lead us to an interesting dilemma with our new model Gav I think we spoke about it last week with Tom as well that where your model is to bring these guys in, you sign them up on a four-year deal, you get a really good run out of them for a season. Okay, for the for the long-term benefit of the club, that's what you need to do. You sell, you reinvest, you, you move the club forward. But at the same time, you kind of want to keep a hold of these guys for just a, even just another season, like a couple of seasons, and just see what you can build out of that rather than just let these guys go after 12 months because they might net you, I don't know, what was a Sam Cos- what's a Sam Cosgrove worth in the market? Two. You know, so if you get north of four for him, you're not going to turn it down, are you? Having spent four hundred grand on him tops, <sighs> yeah, in a in a six month, twelve month period, it's a it's a fantastic um, a flip of a player, isn't it? Um, it's it's a cha- It's probably the biggest challenge of being a team the size of Aberdeen in the in the league that we're in is yeah, keeping these players interested and being able to um, ward off potential suitors. We'll see what happens if. Stad Dareem or anyone else comes in with real cash in January if the club can actually even realistically afford to turn it away given the state of the finances the club have uh, declared in the last uh, few weeks or so um, yeah I think I tend to agree that we we'll, should enjoy Boyan while he's here um, joint top goal scorer in the league not really much more you can ask than that Duke you are allowed to say Easy. 11 oh 
11 and a half. We're in the Tokyo Dome for this one, friends. Um, <laughs> he's the... Someone, he's carried a hurricane around into Powerbomb. It's an extra star. Someone is getting dro- someone's getting dropped on their head to show they can work. He's, he's kicked out of his seven finisher 40 minutes in. Um, no, I think he's he's clearly the top guy uh, for me. This, well, I say clearly. Miofsky's obviously been great. Um He's the top guy. You can assign whatever number you want. I'm going with 11 and a half. 11 and a third. Why not? Let's be weird. Let's be weird. 11 and one third. There we go. Yeah. Particularly refreshing um, to see the way he's kind of played for Aberdeen. Because of the way, like we spoke about earlier, the way he was presented to us as like a prospect, a rough diamond, someone we're going to have to develop. And you might not see the best of him immediately. And it certainly looked that way in that first uh, first appearance with the just incredible trio of misses uh, when he came off the bench, but since then, I mean, he he no one knows how to handle him. He's 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 so potent. He's so creative in not necessarily in the the way he not in terms of like the traditional footballing tense of like creating millions of chances. Although he naturally does that with the way he plays, but yeah, the way he thinks about certain situations like those two headers we discussed earlier and the the overhead kick and stuff like that as well or whatever it was he's just a joy of a player to watch um he's my favorite player to watch in an Aberdeen shirt in years and years and years um he's very infectious with his personality and again like Ramadani the way he applies himself and the way he's jumped into this and he's a far far more competent player than we were led to believe he's his finishing is like a cut well above what I was expecting. Um, you know, he's had the odd duff moment here and there. There was a cheeky lob in one of these games when I was re-watching it that was nowhere near the mark, but I admire the invention. And um, yeah, may, we maybe we'll be able to hold on to him for a little bit longer than Miofsky, I hope, because, you know, I, I feel like sometimes people are just looking at raw numbers or whatever, but uh, Duke is a joy. Uh, I love him with all my heart. When he leaves us, I will cry. <laughs> and he will leave us one day. Um my hope is that this hasn't just been a, like a couple of early months of burst and maybe he yeah. isn't sustainable for the whole season. Um, that would be a fear with a player like this who has so much flair um, and 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 comes up with just these wacky situations on the pitch. But at the moment, I have no real reason to believe that that's going to happen. And uh, every time I see him in the lineup or coming off the bench, it's just a good time, even if we lose. I just like watching the guy. Yeah, 11 and two thirds. We're going up. He might replace Lee Richardson in the kind of, if you look up cult hero in the dictionary, this is the picture that's there. there. I think he might actually replace Lee Richardson in this in this one. Um, he just makes me smile, even now, just thinking about him. <laughs> he just makes me smile with his that's ridiculousness. A bit, that's a bit weird. It is a bit weird, but you know what? <laughs> He's just a ridiculous footballer, <laughs> isn't he? Like he's just and and hilarious. he loves and he loves when the crowd chant Duke. He loves it. Um, he looks like he's got personality as well, which I think is you know goes a long way as well. I think like not just a personality in terms of like he 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 clearly loves playing for the club and playing for our crowds and stuff. I haven't been playing for Benfica B for the last kind of 12, 18 months and all that kind of good stuff. That's the one thing I would say is. Let's just play like the Portuguese B League, um, because it appears that they're like project players in inverted commas are just ready to rip it up. So you know, <laughs> fuck it, just go for that. That's all we need to do. Um, the last two, I feel a bit sorry even asking for Murray Star ratings on these two. Um, Cal Roberts. I mean, does he still exist? The poor guy, man. I did see um, him in Atlanta. Not personally, I, yeah. I wasn't in Atlanta, but I saw pictures of him. So he's alive. 
So he's still on the radar. All right, poor lad. Um, yeah, it's a shame of the injuries and stuff. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing him hopefully get in the team when he comes back and kick on a little bit, but it'd be unfair to give him anything other, just like the next player we're about to talk about, it would be unfair to give him anything other than a five right in the middle. I don't know. Oh, a five? No oh. idea. Okay, okay. Yeah. There we go. No idea. Right in the middle. Um, which brings us to our very last one. Um, we've spoken about Jaden. We've spoken about Hayden. It's time to talk about Shaden. <laughs> what a middle-class lineup we have in our squad this season. <laughs> Shaden really Morris. Do. Yeah, this guy again, Matt. Like I, I feel a bit disappointed actually with what we've 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 had from Shaden Morris so far because I felt like he came in not with like a mass amount of hype or anything like that, but but certainly someone that the Fleet Food fans seemed uh to believe was was represented something of a coup that he was coming here and he had raw abilities that could be honed and stuff, and it feels like he's barely got on the pitch. Um again I could mark him down a little bit because of that, because of that not living up to the hype. And I guess he is in quite a busy position in our squad. Those, you know, just behind the striker, got loads and loads of players who can play there. Maybe he's been a bit unfortunate, but I don't necessarily think he's shown anything to to warrant more than the five as well. Uh, and that, again, that primarily comes from just not really playing football a whole lot. We need a marker at 10, a star rating. Sorry, five. There we five, go. Five, five, five star rating. The thing with Morris is we paid cash money for him. So it's like, yeah, he kind of needs to really, um, hopefully, yeah. make a bit of a breakthrough coming in the, the context, second half of the season. Yeah, the context, contextually, he's a bit, it's a worse situation. He's not had the, you know, Roberts had the injury straight away and stuff. Yeah. Um. So definitely need to see a bit more from him. Um. He might end up being one of the first busts of this kind of new system and, business model and everything i certainly hope not you know 20 years old plenty of time figured it uh theoretically but i don't really see why you would have him ahead of say duncan in the pecking order yeah absolutely completely agree so i think that seems like a sensible place for us to wrap up part well, one I was, of, I was just i was just oh, gonna finish go and delightfully i can report that judging by the murray star rating system you have six players six summer signings who have rated six or higher Six out of eleven, mm. so that's well. And Duke has broken the scale, so you know Duke has <laughs> much like Kenny Omega versus um, who's the big guy in Okada. Japan? Oh, Okada. Okada. Much there we like go. Kenny Omega versus <laughs> Okada in the Tokyo Dome. Yes, Duke has broken <laughs> the, the Meltzer star rating. I cannot think of a better man to do it. Is Duke Kenny or Okada in that? I think he's Kenny because he's, he's Kenny. completely insane. Yeah, yeah, he's completely so. insane. A bit fucking. And a lot mental, of what yeah. he does doesn't really make sense, but it's at his best, it's absolutely brilliant. Kenny's the perfect comparison for Duke, which is weird, but <laughs> there we go. We've brought it home, which seems like a sensible place to wrap up part one of this episode of the APZ Football Podcast. Join us on the other side as we catch up with all the latest news from the club. We'll check in on the women's team and the young team, our loanies and loan watch, and we'll bring you the latest installment of Jeff's Music Corner. We know you can't wait. We'll see you on the other side. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Book your Christmas night out at Siberia, who are offering area hire, buffet platters and a welcome drink for just £30 per person this festive season. Get in touch by emailing scott at siberia-aberdeen.com. That's scott at siberia-aberdeen.com for more details and while you're at it, why not grab tickets at the same time for Siberia's 2023 Hogmanay celebrations with music from Overload.
Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Now, before we move on to the second half of the show, just want to give a quick shout out to those of you who've made contributions to the ABZ FPB and Coffee Fund this week, in particular to our regular monthly contributors. We see you, your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to help us keep fueled in beers or coffees, please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ Football Podcast. The link is in the description. Shout us a beer, shout us a coffee. It is absolutely much appreciated and we had a great response to our first two installments of my favorite game with Duncan Shearer and then last week Martin Stone we're still aiming to get a mixture of fans ex-players managers etc on the show to talk to us about their favorite Aberdeen game Andy you'll join us in the future to talk about Aberdeen 4 Copenhagen nil um it's already locked in it's you've, you've got the pick it's already in there um, but if you'd like to join Andy and anyone else to get involved with your favourite game, please hit us up on Twitter or email us at abzfootballpodcast at gmail.com with your game, why you've picked it. It can be for any reason. It could be your first game. There could be something incredibly silly about it. There might be something sentimental about it. Whatever it is, please join in the conversation. We'll get in the show. We'll have a chat about it. But before we get into any more serious business, it's the return of Jeff's Music Corner. Um, Andy, we know you listen every now and again. Do you like Jeff's Music Corner? I love Jeff's Music Corner. It's a bit it's, of miscellany. It's what we're all about. Um, ah, it's quality. It's been away for a few weeks, but we've got time to fill because it's World Cup break time. So um, for anyone who's new to the show, listen to us. The parameters for this one, as a reminder, um, which we can switch on a whim as we see fit. And we generally do. Um, generally speaking, this needs to be a one-hit wonder from the 90s or the early 2000s that we can somehow bring back to the dons and gav it was your turn this week to bring to the table perhaps maybe the ultimate in one hit wonders what is it well i mean so a friend of mine is a he's a sound engineer and he was working at what would have been at the time it's mashulu but i would i think it would have been maybe warehouse or garage at the kind of time and we just played there and for context we just played this song three times in their own set at the beginning in the middle <laughs> and as the outro it is, of course, Teenage Dirtbag. Absolutely. So released in 2000, peaked at number two in the chart. I was convinced this must have been a number one in the UK, but it wasn't. Uh, well, it was, not when you consider what was number one. Well, it was kept from top spot by Atomic Kittens, Hole Again, which is a fucking jam. It is a banger, to be fair. Spent four weeks as the Australian number one, topped the charts in Austria and the Flanders. <laughs> um what in, what, in, what in the Flanders household in the Simpsons? We're gonna get onto this. No spoilers, Gav. No spoilers. Um, now, despite it being a massive hit in Europe and Australia, it failed to make it into the US Billboard Hot 100. And as of 2014, it had sold over five million copies worldwide. Madness. Uh, Andy, your thoughts on Teenage Dirtbag? By me, yes. <laughs> um, one of the most irritating songs in the planet when it came out for me personally um every it was all over the shop and um unfortunately i was a bit of a music elitist when that came out so hearing this sugary melody in my ears every five minutes kind of did my head in but it's one of those songs that i've come to appreciate through the years and uh seeing as this has been quite a wrestling heavy show already um it has been giving you life to me because there's an indie wrestler called spider nate webb who doesn't wrestle very often, but when he does, he comes out to Teenage Dirtbag by Wheatus, which seems like an odd fit. Doesn't sound like the most bombastic, no. uh, you know, room-shaking entrance theme, but mm -hmm. 
it, it, the whole room sings along every time. And this guy, Nate Webb, he's 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 not very good, much like Wheatus himself, but it creates a level of crowd connection that is undeniable in these smaller bingo hall rooms, if you will. And uh, through that, I've developed a new appreciation for this song, and I feel sorry for ever disparaging the great name of Mr. Wheatus in the first place. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not quite like a Metallica song as far as like wrestling entrances or like no. Judas, <laughs> you know, as far as just like it gets you kind of pumped. But I can see the purpose why you'd, you'd have it for that pure sing-along factor. Uh, I've got a complicated relationship with it. Um, if like it appears on like Spotify or on the radio, like random, then it might actually be something along the lines of, ugh, not this song. But you play this at a wedding and I am there. I am fucking there for that jam. I've seen you there at a wedding. Yeah. for this jam to be fair um now obviously the rules of jeff's music corner mean that we have to try and find a dawn's connection to this song somehow or we have to try and do it within like what do we call it seven stages of lamb I think. The, yes yes because <laughs> you know silliness um now this one is not as easy as any of the others that i could have thought andy i don't know if you can come up with one straight off the bat <clears throat> I, uh, that's a lo- I've put you right in the spot here. <laughs> yeah, that was a hospital pass. That was. Um, <laughs> I don't it's all right to say no. no. It's all right no, to say no. no. It's fine. I've spent most of the day looking there's, at this. Um, there's, there's, there's a few routes that you can get there. There are a few routes you can get there. So, I, well, I thought, right, that the easy way to do this was to look at the Iron Maiden reference, right? And we'd be able to get back to Aberdeen from somehow from Iron Maiden. It's not as easy as it looks. The closest I could get was the fact that obviously members of Iron Maiden support West Ham. Aberdeen once played West Ham in a pre-season as well as Brexit. match. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, Bruce Dickinson. Oh, flies planes and hates Brexit. Um, Aberdeen played West Ham in a pre-season friendly in 1981. Aberdeen won 3-0 that day. That's the closest I could get to down that route. Um, we threw out, actually, I, because I was running solo in inspiration for this earlier today, I actually threw out to the the ABZFP solar system to try and get them to work it out. Um, I got some good responses to this one. So like Bruce Dickinson, obviously lead singer, born in Nottinghamshire, supports West Ham, would have watched Tommy McQueen play for West Ham after he signed from Aberdeen in 1986. Not bad. That's, that's a good shout. That's not too bad. I like this one. This one is brilliant. Iron Maiden's first Scottish gig was on November the 1st, 1979 at Ruffles in Aberdeen. They were likely travelling north on the previous evening, which would have meant they were sharing the road with Aberdeen, who had just beaten Celtic 3-2 in Glasgow in the League Cup final. Oh, no, it must have been the... Uh, yeah, no, that would have been. That would have been. Um, then it got a bit silly. The song Wasted Years was surely written by them regarding a lifelong support of Aberdeen. Um, Iron Maiden's uh, guitarist Adrian Smith. Aberdeen Saab dealership. Adrian Smith provided a sponsored Saab to Don's forward Mixu Patalainen. <laughs> um... They're my favourite band, and I'm a Dons fan. Both were superb in the 80s and had a wobble in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> I've never uh, really recovered to the lofty heights ever since. Yeah, exactly. Best night's work for both of them were in the Ulevi. So there we go. Um, obviously, Eddie is the Iron Maiden um, mascot, is the best way to describe him. Uh, some Aye. people try to suggest he was named after Eddie Turnbull. <laughs> 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 Uh, their best days are well behind them and in the 80s just like Aberdeen there we go that was from an Aberdeen fan um, they've got a current band member called Yannick Jers so we could maybe call him Yannick Sevko <laughs> <laughs> our defenders also run to the hills every time we play the Ugly Sisters which is good 
<clears throat> my pal took his wee girl to the 9-0 Celtic game, therefore bringing his daughter to the slaughter. <laughs> uh, some Don's teams over the years have made me want to run to the hills. That's fine with that. Paul Daniel used to run with the Appetine soccer casuals. That's why he left. Hashtag true story. <clears throat> when Stephen Glass was appointed, my first thought was run to the hills. There we go. That's that's that one again. Matt Cool, I think, right? Matt Cool came really close to this one. Matt Cool um, made the pilgrimage to see Iron Maiden play in the Ulevay in 2008. He's got a he's got a Iron Maiden tattoo on his arm, which I'm showing to the boys here, which is a good effort. Well done, Matt. And Matt is one of the flag wavers on the pitch at Pataudry, um before every game. So that, that was quite close. Um, Bruce Dickinson left and returned later, a bit like Ian Jess. Yep. <laughs> Run for the Broad Hills. Nice. <laughs> All right, sound. <laughs> did, did Iron Maiden liquidate and come back as the Iron Maiden? Possibly. Um, and then this was quite a good shout. Not quite the link, but their longtime Iron Maiden's longtime co-manager Andy Taylor is the brother of Mike Taylor, who was the former headmaster of Dice Academy. Um, and when I asked, did Mike support Aberdeen? The response was honestly, I've got no idea. So who knows? <laughs> um, <laughs> Close enough. So we plowed through all of that, and then I had a moment, a moment of inspiration, because Teenage Dirtbag was, of course, used in the film Loser from 2000 which featured Mena Zuvari and Jason Biggs remember Jason Biggs from American yeah. Pie fame I remember because the, the film was kind of used in the video that's right absolutely so Jason Biggs appeared in the very 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 last episode of Frasier back in 2004 now who is it that stars as Frasier uh, Sideshow Bob well you've jumped ahead of me there Gav it is of course Kelsey Grammer who of course <laughs> plays who uh, the Beast in the X-Men movies Yes, but what cartoon character does Kelsey Grammer play? <laughs> or voice? <laughs> You're making this really easy for me, Gav. Uh, Sideshow Bob in The Simpsons. And who could we argue is the main protagonist in The Simpsons? Well, that of course is Homer. And Homer is, of course, voiced by... I have no idea how you say his name. Dan Castellaneta? Dan Castellaneta? That sounds good to me. Who also voices... Groundskeeper Willie. Groundskeeper Willie, who, as we all know, is a supporter of which football team? Aberdeen Rules. Aberdeen Football Club. So there we go. We managed to get from Teenage Dirtbag to Aberdeen I, Football Club. I found a more direct route. Have you? Yeah. Come on, then. Well, Wheatus are from Northport, New York. Yes. Which is on the shore of Long Island. Yeah. Which is in Suffolk County. Right. Now, if you take that forward to the county of Suffolk in England, oh, fucking hell, where Ipswich Town reside, of course, Yeah. then all you need to do is play out the Wes Burns played for Ipswich and Aberdeen, and you're there. Or Paul Mason. No, Wes Burns is a better shout. That's, that's not, I nearly was there with <laughs> um, Dante Povara comes from, listen, listen, Dante Povara was born, or, and, born and raised <laughs> on a playground um, in Pleasantville, New York. Which I think seems really fitting because Danny Povara strikes me as being a really nice guy, right? I imagine they have a lot of beef with the folks in Nastyville. I'd imagine. And <laughs> 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 um, Pleasantville is like an hour and a half's drive from, I think it's, I think it's uh, Hope Court or something like that, which is where 
Quetus are from in New York as well. So I was nearly there. I nearly had that, but then it didn't quite hang together. But I thought the really fucking circuitous way of getting there via Groundskeeper Willie was much funnier. But hey, there we go. Anyway, shall we move on from uh, Jeff's Music Corner? I don't know what Jeff will think about Quetus, Teenage Dirt Bad. Jeff, give us a shout. Give us a tweet. Just give us a text, whatever. Um, anyway, on the news from Pataudry and Comer Park this week, no big news this week. The main news, of course, was the AFC Hall of Fame dinner for 2022, which took place on Wednesday evening. Do we need to do the music? I don't know what Hall of Fame you watch, Gav. It's not the one I watch. Anyway, um, Dookie Bell, Donkey Shearer, Russell Anderson all inducted in person on the evening. Frank McDougall unab- unable to attend um, as he continues his treatment for cancer. Um, all the best, Frank. And Davy Robb posthumously inducted following his passing earlier in the year. All in all, a fine class of 2022, which means they join Chris Anderson, Jim Bett, Eric Black, Henning Bow, Martin Buckingham, Bobby Clark, Donald Coleman, Neil Cooper, Dick Donald, Sir Alex Ferguson, Arthur Graham, David Halliday, Joe Harper, Jim Hermiston, John Hewitt, Drew Jarvie, Ian Jess, Stuart Kennedy, Archie Knox, Graham Leggett, Jim Layton, Ali McLeod, Fred Martin, Mark McGee, yeah, honestly, Alex McLeish, John McMaster, <laughs> Willie Miller, Duke <laughs> Rigby, Teddy Scott, Ali Shewin, Neil Simpson, Theo Snelders, Gordon Strachan, Eddie Turnbull, Peter Weir, and Alec Young in the Hall of Fame. Now, gents, Andy, you were here when we did the whole Hall of Shame nonsense a while back, and what an evening that was. I, what a show. Great stuff. But, gents, if you were to make a pitch now for who should be included in next year's Hall of Fame class, who would you be going for? So I, I obviously come from the world of wrestling coverage, and uh, wrestling Hall of Fames are a little shady. They're a little sketchy. Um, <laughs> some uh, interesting characters get in there. Um, sometimes it's more about with those ones so I'm, I'm taking that influence here i'm not picking the most you know decorated and well up for this yeah massive list of medals whatever you know i've built this up as a bit of a joke but you know they, they induct these very serious um i like you know a, a cult figure someone who's left not necessarily this long legacy of incredible success those people obviously have a place they're there already they're there already um Someone who just gave you these incredible moments of magic that just stay with you throughout your fandom. They might have been a bit of a character off screen as well. Someone you can latch on to despite their flaws in a way their flaws often make you love them even more. So with that in mind, I'm going Bertie Bossu for my pick. Um, <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, I, I, honest to goodness, I would love it if they took a bit of a left turn and threw someone like Zeru Ali in there. Um, purely primarily for those reasons you know it wasn't with us for a long time at the club uh certainly not a golden era um for Aberdeen coming in under Ed and all that stuff um and you know he had the long period on the sidelines in the middle of all this and left and then his career wasn't really much and then obviously he tragically passed away but as far as and I'm sure there are more deserving people who scored more goals and made more appearances and won more medals and you know Hans Heelhouse or whoever you want to throw in whatever whatever, but Zero Ali is a guy who I think particularly if you're of our generation, um, with his moments of magic, it's the exact same thing we were speaking about with guys like Duke earlier yeah. on. Um, 
pure inspiration. If he was able to do the things he was doing at his peak every single week, he would have been playing for a major European club uh, and made millions and millions of pounds and, and been sold for incredible fees. But he was only able to do it on a sporadic basis. Nonetheless, uh, we've never really seen anyone like him in terms of pure inspiration, the goal he scored. He was a ridiculous football player. Obviously, his story ended very tragically. But I love Hall of Fame inductions like this, where it's like the ultimate cult hero going in rather than the most decorated dude. So with that wrestling mindset applied, uh, not Bertie Bossu, I'd love to see Hisham Zero Ali thrown in there. Love yeah, it. I, I mean, I mean, Bertie Boss would have made Coco beware in the Hall of Fame look legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of and course. Then you, then you need to think about who would be like our Kid Rock or whatever the fuck. <laughs> um, it's it's tough because it's such a Gary the, Dempsey would be our Kid Rock. <laughs> Gary Dempsey. <laughs> the first Lottie, time those, uh, it's the first time those two names have been put in the same sentence before. Because <laughs> Gary Dempsey's gone like full blown like right wing conspiracy theorist on Twitter. Um so I'm gonna I'm gonna say Gary Dempsey would be our kid rock. <laughs> nice. So be it. Uh, it's it's tough because the the group that we have right now is so um it's just legend after legend after legend in the Hall of Fame right now. So you can't be throwing in, you know, even guys have maybe two or three good years, but, you know, ultimately haven't really done anything that's brought anything into the Aberdeen trophy cabinet as such. Um, looking through it, I can't see his name anywhere. A gentleman we spoke to quite recently, um, a lot of um, players that came through, Aberdeen at the time he was coach, uh, assistant manager, head co-manager, whatever you want to call him, credit his training, um, his coaching with helping them go on to have the careers they have. And of course, he made an impact for us as a player. So I'm going to nominate Jockey Scott. Yeah, I'd be disappointed if Jockey isn't in next season. Um, great guy, topper of a guy. Um, mine is going to be, it's a pretty straightforward one, and I'm sorry, Andy. It's really boring, but it's one of these guys who, well, actually, I'd have two. I'd have Lee Richardson would be in there. Um for the same Good. reasons, um, the cult hero thing. Um, only here for two seasons, but what an impact he made. But the sensible head one is, it, he has to go in. He has to be in next year. Um, 561 appearances for Aberdeen. He's fifth on our all-time appearance list and is not in the Hall of Fame yet. Uh, he's got a trophy hall that includes one European Super Cup, two league titles, three Scottish Cups, three League Cups, four, 40 caps for Scotland, captained the club as well. Stuart McKimmy. Ricky Foster. Ricky Foster, Ricky Richard Foster, <laughs> Darren Mackey, <laughs> Stuart McKimmy. I know that um, the club maybe had a bit of a weird thing with Stuart for a while, um, and I know that perhaps things didn't quite end up as the way that they probably either party want them to. But it's time for Stuart McKimmy to be taking his place in the the Hall of Fame, undoubtedly. Um, with a kind of track record like that, it's kind of criminal. He's not in there already, so um, I'm going to pitch my flag right now that Stuart McKimmy should be in the 2023 Hall of Fame and uh, Andy listen mate um, it's quarter past ten now on a Sunday evening aye would you like to would you like to disappear and enjoy the rest of your Sunday night (laughs) aye I better bugger off uh, early morning as always in the content game but uh, thanks for having me on it's fun every single time listen mate absolutely top man great stuff great to have you again with us Um, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll engage again on a hashtag content basis later in the season at some point. Um, all the very best. Enjoy the rest of the season. And um, nice. we'll catch up, I'm sure, in, in time.
Sweet lads. Cheers. Uh, thanks for having me on and I'll catch you next time. Nice one. Stand free. Catch you later. Which brings us neatly on to Lone Watch. Uh, Con McLennan, obviously not applicable. Uh, St. Johnston not playing this week. Kieran Nguyen, a full 90 minutes for him as Wraith Rovers saw off Auchinleck Talbot by three goals to nil in the Scottish Cup. Mason Hancock not in the matchday squad as our broth ran out 2-0 winners over the Brock at Borough Briggs in the Scottish Cup on Saturday. A return to the starting lineup for Evan Towler in Cove's 7-0 win over at Dunny Pace? Yeah. Dunny Pace in the Scottish Cup at the Balmoral. Uh, Tom Ritchie, a full 90 minutes for him as Peterhead were knocked out of the Scottish Cup. Kevin Hanratty, an unused sub for Forfart as they were beaten 4-0 at East End Park by the Firm Athletic. And Dean Campbell came off the bench in injury time as Stevenage beat Kingsland Town 3-0 live on the BBC in the FA Cup second round. Onto the young is, team. That, that is a main event in any town. Absolutely. Onto the young team. After a couple of weeks off, the young team were back in action in the SFA Youth Cup on Friday evening. And the Dons were a goal to the good after just 24 minutes. Harvey's initial shot blocks. And Alfie Babbage, who else? Making no mistake with a first-time finish. The visitors, though, were level just 10 minutes later. Scott's effort from a half-cleared corner, looping up and over Oliemi and off the bar. And in, and before you knew it, the visitors were a goal to the good. Scott once again stepping up to dispatch a penalty, sending Oliemi the wrong way. Half-time, 2-1 to the visitors. The Dons with it all to do. Alfie Bavish, though, with his second goal of the game just after our mark had the tie level. That's 16 goals in the last six games for Bavage. But his touch deserted him just a few minutes later, missing a penalty kick. But no fear. Lewis Perry finished well under the goalkeeper a couple of minutes later to seal the win and move the young team into the next round. And on to the women's team. Three changes to Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath starting 11 as they visited Tanadice on Sunday afternoon in front of the BBC cameras. Ava Thompson, Francesca Ogilvie and Nadine Hansen all back in the starting lineup after last week's disappointing defeat at Motherwell. The Quines with a strong start to this one. Chloe Gover incredibly unlucky to see a free kick smash off the post and back out to safety after just five minutes. The Dons looking dangerous every time they got the ball through the lines and they got a deserved lead on 16 minutes. Bailey Hutchison latching onto a long pass from Bailey Collins. And she drove into the box and finished well beyond the United keeper. The Dons continuing their strong start. Gover unlucky again not to score from a corner, but despite all of the visitors' domination, it was the home side who pulled a goal back going into the break. McGinley with a fine finish from the edge of the box. Ogilvie and Donald with a hefty collision just after the restart that needed both players to be checked over by their respective physios. But this was a second half that became pretty dogged and hard fought. McGinley passing up a couple of opportunities for United, one in particular, an absolute shocker. And just when it looked like this was drifting to a 1-1 draw, up popped Hutchison again, racing onto a fine through ball from the excellent Ailey Shore. She split clear of a tidying United defence and slipped a low finish home to wrap up the points. A massive, massive win on the road for the Quines. Next up is the visit of Spartans to the Balmoral, on Sunday and I think Gav that'll probably do us eh will that wrap us up I think that'll do for uh, another week of life without the joy that is Scottish football that will wrap up this week's episode of the ABZ football podcast thanks for joining us and please remember to like subscribe follow whatever on your podcast player of choice join us next week for episode 74 where we will do something we'll see you then stand free 
This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!